coming, Landon. <laughs> Not to the women's thing. Esther will be there. But uh. Hey, it's great to be back. We, uh, we've been uh, away from our study in the book of Exodus for many weeks. Uh, as you know, this year we've been going through the Old Testament book of Exodus. So tonight we're going to pick up where we left off back on October 24th, which was the last time that we studied this because I, it was October 24th, and then the following Wednesday was the Harvest Festival, and that was really successful. We had a lot of people from the neighboring community come in to hear the gospel, and then we had other things, my vacation, and, and also, it's great to be back in, in Exodus chapter 37 and 38 tonight. Well, it's, it's a real long-running narrative, but there's some wonderful things in here I'm hoping to uh, draw out to help us understand this wonderful, wonderful book. But again, this section that we're in right now is primarily dealing with the construction, the actual construction of the tabernacle. And uh, in studying for this uh, tonight, I read one commentator who said this comment. He said, God used one chapter in the first book of the Bible to describe the creation of the universe. But he's used multiple chapters, up to six chapters, on dealing how he wants specifically his tabernacle to be built, how ornate he wants it to be, the specific size of each one of the utensils, the ornaments that are in there, and their, their, their ministry. All of that is important to God. And, and we're looking at these chapters. That's what we've been studying. The question becomes, why is the tabernacle so important? What's so important about the tabernacle to God that he would spend so much time articulating in the chapter 25 of Exodus, 26, 27, 28, and, then, and now the building, which is really almost a repeat of the earlier chapters. What is so important about the tabernacle? The tabernacle symbolizes something very, very important to God. It's the dwelling place, his dwelling place with his people. And this is really important for us to understand as Christians, because the Christian faith is all about a God who becomes a man and dwelt with us. When did that happen? Well, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. It's the celebration that we're kind of enjoying right now. You can call it the Festival of Lights. You can call it Christmas. You can call it all kinds of different things. We put up a Christmas tree in our house and put lights all over it. The other, we celebrate Jesus with lights and with, with uh, ornaments, with trees and, and all kinds of things. But we're celebrating the fact that God has become human, touchable, relatable. Our God has always wanted to be with his creation. He wants to be with us. And that is made so clear when you study the tabernacle. God wants to dwell with, he wants to reside with, he wants to live with his people. And we saw that back in chapter 25. Here's the verse. I'll just show it to you on the screen. God commands Moses, he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's the amazing reality of the scriptures in our God. You see, there's a lot of people that have this idea about God that he's aloof. He's far removed from people that he allows everything just to go chaotic and, and wild, that he's not involved in the, the, uh, the lives of men. But God is very much alive and involved in our lives, wouldn't you say? Yes. 
And that's the wonderful thing about Christianity. Biblical Christianity states that God, he loves the world. He loves everyone. And he's demonstrated his love by sending his son to die in the place of you and I, sinners, so that we might have relationship, building that place of relationship. And here the tabernacle represents that beautiful, beautiful truth. Now the tabernacle, remember, now, I'm going to show you pictures of it a little bit later, but the tabernacle provides both the presence of God with his people and this interesting, mysterious separation from the people with the veils. Remember the courtyard? And you have to go through the veils. There's three of them. You go through the first veil, and you see the bronze uh, altar of sacrifice. It would have been a real bloody place. Reminding the people that every time they went into the tabernacle that their sin costs much. And I love the imagery there. I, I close my eyes and I walk into that tabernacle and I can relate to that. My sin costs something and there's this bloody scene, the burning of the fat, the separation of the animal, the blood that's separated that represents life. And the blood is what redeems or atones for the sins of the people. So they would be reminded as they go through the first veil that there was this altar of sacrifice again. It speaks clearly of the redemption we have in Jesus Christ and in his blood, so clearly. And again, remember, the Old Testament was written and is an example to us so that we will know and understand God's plan of redemption, Jesus and his blood and his coming and all those things, they're all represented in the tabernacle. As, as you progress through that veil and see that altar of sacrifice, you would then see this huge bronze lava filled with water representing a place for the priests to cleanse themselves. After they did this work of, of uh, atoning for sin through sacrifice, they would go and wash, 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 and change their clothes. Remember the, the one chapter in Exodus, the clothing of the priests, how important that was to God. And then they would be able to do the daily tasks that were further through the next veil into that, that tabernacle itself that was within the courtyard. Can we just throw that first picture up just to remind you of of what, not that one, the other one, the courtyard. There it is. So you go through the first veil, and there's the, the bronze altar, and then you have the lava, which is filled with water. The priests would wash, and then they would go into the tabernacle. And remember the tabernacle and its construction, just multiple uh, beautiful um, sheets of fabric of purple and red, and then it was covered with skin on the outside to keep it rainproof. Layers, layers, layers. It was completely dark inside. And inside that tabernacle were the two different rooms. And inside those rooms were all the, the other portions, you know, and the, these other utensils. The, the lava, again, representing New Testament baptism. We're washed in the blood and we're cleansed. And we are dipped in water, you know, the whole immersion thing where we, we baptize you and we put you underwater, and it's just a symbol, a representation of like Jesus dying and, and being buried and then coming back to life, regenerate. Same thing with the believer. It's just a symbol we, 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 in Christian baptism. And in the case of the tabernacle and the, the lava there, the priests would wash, and then they would go further into the uh, tabernacle and continue their work. And that work would include 
the, the candle lavra, the menorah. It had to continually burn. The, the light that lit up this holy place, not the holy of holies, the holy place where the priests would do their daily ministry of, of changing the light, the oil in the lamps, making sure that the light were burning continually. And then the, the, he would go and once a week change the showbread. Remember, that was the other table that was specific and built by Beziel, the builder. We're going to see him tonight as well. And then there was back in the back, right, right in the front of the next veil, there was the altar of incense, remember? And that altar of incense was burning, and it represents prayers, the prayers of the saints just burning, burning. That, then there was that third or inner veil, and only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, once a year. And that high priest would go in there, and he would take some of the blood that was sacrificed, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Again, all of these are pictures, beautiful illustrations of Jesus who fulfilled the tabernacle. So now it's, it, I hope in your mind you say, wow, wow. The tabernacle is really important. It's important to understand it. My next picture really just shows the tabernacle, and it's a cutaway. It's a cutaway of the cantalabra, the showbread, the, the incense, and then the veil. And beyond the veil is the holy of holies where the priests would go. There's the mercy seat there, the Ark of the Covenant. In that picture, you see the poles. You know, they couldn't touch it. It could only be carried with poles and rings. And again, tonight, you're going to see how the tabernacle was made mobile. It was made with poles. It was made to disassemble and reassemble, disassemble, reassemble. And it was God moving with his people. They would move it. They would set it up, and God's presence would come in. And we're getting to that chapter, by the way. The last chapter in Exodus is when God finally comes and dwells with his people. So Christmas time, Jesus dwelling with his people, John, 4, or John 1, 14, as well as the tabernacle here. Lots, lots going on in this text. I love the imagery here. You can put that verse up, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Really, that's what we're looking at. The Old Testament, pre-picturing Christ, and then the New Testament, revealing Jesus, the the tabernacle symbolizes all of those things. The tabernacle speaks of Jesus over and over again. And Jesus completes that wonderful, fulfills that wonderful imagery that we see in the tabernacle. It was Augustine who said, the Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. And that's why I love studying the Old Testament. By the way, just so that you know, when we finish this in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to Numbers. So Wednesday night, we'll just continue our study in this. With the children of Israel, we'll go right to Numbers, and we'll be in Numbers for the next months. And uh, Sunday night, we finished our Levitical study, the book of Leviticus, with Pastor Daniel and I. And we're going to go from there to Hebrews. So Sunday night's going to be Hebrews, Sunday night. And that'll be fun to study that together. I think there's a correlation there. I think you'll see that. We just studied Leviticus, and now we're going to study Hebrews, so it'll help you to understand that as well. So New Testament, Sunday night, Old Testament, we'll continue uh, that on Wednesday night. So let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. I just wanted you to hear those. Uh, it's fantastic, isn't it? Father, your plan, your revelation, the Word of God is so <laughs> intricate, so marvelous, and, and it's just mind-blowing. As I studied today, again, I was just in awe. Thank you, Lord, for revealing these truths to us. 
to the very simple among us, Lord. We can, I can understand. So thank you. And Lord, won't you, by your Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, teach us these truths. And then, Lord, help us to love and worship and honor Jesus that much more. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, when we uh, concluded our study the last time, that was back in October, um, you might remember some of the things that we looked at. I want you to go back here. I'm just real quick, chapter 35. We looked at 35 and, and 36 back in October, so I want to kind of give us, get us up to speed. And in preparation to building or constructing the tabernacle, God goes back to Moses and said, listen, this is what I want to happen. This is number one for me. I don't want you working 24-7, seven days a week. I want you to work hard, but I want you to worship me on the Sabbath day. That was number one, and he made that really clear. If you look at Exodus chapter 35, verse 2, he says, God tells Moses, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on that day shall be put to death. <laughs> Whoa. This is how important it is to God. He doesn't want these people to get lost in building and work. We do that, don't we? We get lost in our work sometimes. And so God says, no, I want you to remember me. Once a week, there's a rhythm. Six days you work, one day you rest, you worship, you get your mind wrapped around me, you, you get back to me, and then you go back and get, lose yourself in work for six more days. But this is the rhythm that God has established, the Sabbath day. And then the people were asked to willingly contribute to give. He, it, they weren't constrained. It wasn't you have to or you'll die. You have an opportunity now, people, to give to this work of building the tabernacle. And boy, did they ever. Look at verse 4 of chapter 35. And Moses spoke to the congregation of children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Notice, willing heart. Gold, silver, bronze. So, and they're asking for costly things, gold, silver, bronze. Verse 6, purple, blue, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dried red badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and the sweet incenses. Verse 9, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate of the priest. So God gives the people an opportunity to give this offering, to make this free will offering for the building, construction of the temple that he's going to dwell in. I mean, that's pretty exciting. God's going to come dwell. You get an opportunity to be a participant in that. And you had a chance tonight to give free will offering. And our services, why do we pass the bag? Well, it's your opportunity to have a, a part in the work that God does, evangelism, sharing the word, teaching the Bible, um, and the ministry that goes on here in the, in the church. And so these people, they gave so much, as you recall. Go to chapter 36 and verse 6. They, they were so excited and, and enthralled. They, they began to give and give and give and give and give so much. Look at verse 6 of chapter 36. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had given was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. They gave too much. Stop giving, church. Stop giving. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> 
I mean, it's, it's amazing. But again, the application is, this is probably the first time in history that that happened, but these people are excited. They want to be a part of what God's doing. And I hope, man, Pastor Lee, I can't sing. I don't preach the gospel. I, you know, I, I, can, I feel like I'm the armpit in the body of Christ. But listen, you aren't. You aren't. You are important. Everybody has a participating place, a role in the body. We're all parts of the body. There's fingernails and hair as well as, as hands. And some are the muscles. Some are the prayer warriors in the background you never see. Uh, but every part of the body is important. And these people, they were giving and giving and giving. Verses 20 through 34 of chapter 36, the, they bring all the parts together, the boards and all these things Verse 35 through 38 describe the, the screen and the veil and all the intricate uh, fabric that went into building that. And uh, now we come to our study tonight. We begin with this Beziel, the builder again, Beziel, the gifted designer. So let's begin right there. And uh, you'll notice that this parallels chapter 31. Chapter 31, and there's a little different. You get the items that were built and how they're to be built. But here in this section, we get the order in which they're built. So that's the only difference. And I'm going to read quickly this narrative and just make a couple of points here. But notice here the, the construction and the artistic elements in this man, Beziel, this artist. That then Beziel made the ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length, and a cubit was half its width. A cubit, 18 inches. So it's a little box, about the biggest size of this pulpit here, just a box. So Beziel's gifted artisan, and he's building this thing. He overlaid it with pure gold, verse 2, inside and outside, and made the molding of gold all around it. So it, had, it was a gold box, and it had molding all over it, so it's ornate. And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its corners. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other side. Remember, it had to be portable. Everything in the tabernacle is portable. And this item, nobody touched, so poles and rings were made as well. He made poles of acacia wood, verse 4, and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to bear the ark. He also made the mercy seat of pure gold. The two and a half cubits was its length, and a cubit and a half its width. He made two cherubim, that's angels. He made these images, cherubim, not as idols. Remember, we talked about this. These were not idols to be worshipped. They were in the interior, if you recall, of the tabernacle was all this beautiful blue fabric that, that emulated heaven, blue, like the sky. And it had these golden cherubim that were embroidered on the curtains on the inside. So you have these angels all over the inside of this tent. And then on the box on the, was this two angels with their wings spread over their faces. So he's, he's an artisan, and he makes these casts all these things out of gold and creates the cherubim. It says of beaten gold, he made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub, verse 8, at the end of one side and the other cherub at the end of the other. He made the cherub at the two ends of the piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another. The faces of the cherubim were towards the mercy seat. So their faces were down, obviously, the wings were over their heads. Notice, again, that although God gives the general direction about, about how these things would be, he gives Bezel, the artist, the freedom to actually be creative. 
And I believe that's the way our God is. He, he gives us talent. There's, there's people that sing. There's people that can't sing. There's people that can play an instrument. There's people that can run. People that don't like to run. But there's those that have this God-given ability. If you have a God-given ability, all I can say is develop it, use it. Beziel was the kind of person that didn't just follow an order and, and, and just say, okay, I'll make this plop. He took it and he formed it and he created and he used his mind and his hands and he, he made this beautiful, beautiful carving. He was a very, very gifted artisan chosen by God and gifted by God. And then notice, not only is he the artist, but he's the contractor, he's the architect. This, this guy is amazing, this Beziel. We see him as a gifted craftsman in verse 10. He made the table of acacia wood, two cubits in length, a cubit in width, a cubit and a half in its height. He overlaid it with pure gold and made the molding of gold around it. He also made the frame of a handbreadth all around it and made a molding of gold for the frame all around it. And he cast it four rings of gold, put the rings in the four corners and the four legs. The rings were close to the frame as altars of the poles and the bare table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. He made a pure gold, the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, its pitchers for pouring. Remember, the, the priests had to cleanse, always cleanse, pouring. And so they have all these utensils on the, the table of showbread. Remember, that was changed. The bread was changed every week. Again, the, what was the bread for? You remember, the bread was for what? A meal, right? Fellowship with God. The, the bread was there to represent that God wanted fellowship with people. He wants to be with his people. And this bread was, was representative of what we do in the New Testament. When we break the bread and we take what? Communion. It's a symbol. It's a representation. Of, we have fellowship with God. It's a sweet representation of that. So he's creating the table of showbread and all the different utensils. And then he makes the, the uh, six branches of the candelabra there in verse 18 and, and 19, the bowls and how the each one of the, I should have brought my, my uh, menorah out here, but you'll see there's blossoms on its branches and then the bowls at the top that held the oil. Um, but you, you see it here, verse 20, and the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. The, the knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same. So it was all, it was all branched out and, and very um, symmetrical is what we're seeing here. Very, very beautiful. This Beziel was a fantastic artist. I, if you've been to any art museum, the closest we have to a really good one is the Getty here in, in L.A. If you've ever been there, you should go. See some beautiful art and, and paintings. I love going there. I've been to the museum in Washington, D.C., the National Archives. Fantastic art. I've seen, I've been to the British Museum, museum and I've seen that. It's amazing, amazing. And then we were in Greece just recently, and a lot of that stuff was broken. It's, it's three and 4,000-year-old uh, marble that is, they weed eat around it. It's broken. It's laying in the ground. They just kind of weed eat. They, we had guys doing that up around the Acropolis. <laughs> you know what their thing on. There's this priceless piece of, of broken uh, marble that came off the Acropolis, you know, and they're weeding around it. And you're going, huh. It's amazing. But the artistry of these people, just amazing. And, and 
God is wanting this made, but he's also allowing them as an artist to be creative. And then notice verse 23, he made seven lamps, its wicks, its trimmers, its prayer trays of gold, and the talent of pure gold, he made it with all the utensils. So Beziel gets all these wonderful design and all his gifts. If you recall, just turn the page back to chapter 36, verse 1, real quick, because it helps us understand where he got his gifts. Beziel and Aholiab, and every gifted artist in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding. God gifted them. God filled them. God used them for this specific purpose. Gee, Pastor, will one day, can I do something for God? Yeah, pray, seek, serve. And you'll see, pretty soon you'll see God using you. When I started in the ministry as a young teenager, teaching Sunday school, 17 years old. I did a little VBS before that, Esther and I, when we grew up in the same church, and we did vacation Bible school together in that church, and when I was 17, she started teaching a Sunday school class, so I was like, oh, I guess I should do that. So I was teaching the high school Sunday school class, 17, 18, 19, and then we got married at 20, and as you serve the Lord, God begins to give you different directions and but pastor, I don't do anything. I want to do something. Just start serving the Lord. Just start moving the cart down the road. Don't just be idle and sit. Talk to Pastor John. Talk to Pastor Daniel. Talk to me. There's always something to do. Well, I don't want to pick up cigarette butts. I don't want to blow the parking lot off. That's where you start. Do something. Because once you start doing it, God begins to use you. And who knows where you'll be in 10 years or 20 years, or in my case, 30 years. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years, probably in a wheelchair somewhere. But <laughs> The truth is, just start moving out. Notice Bezel here in Exodus 36, he was gifted by the Lord. And it says, in all manner of work, service of the sanctuary shall do according to the Lord has commanded. So God is the gifter. If, if, you don't, if you can't do anything, don't complain about the church. i got to go to a different church because, because then I can maximize my potential. You can maximize your potential right here if you just get off your rear and, and, do, and serve. You, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to be really nice about this. But, but it's a blessing. It's such a blessing when you start to serve the Lord. It's such a blessing. And also, I love this. God had also put a heart of a teacher in this humble man, Bezel. Notice in chapter 35, look, go back to chapter 35, verse 34, Exodus 35, 34. Notice it says, and God, or he has put in Bezel's heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiab and the son of Amekash, the tribe of Dan. So God had, had done this. This is God's work. He, he knows what he wants in his church. He calls and gifts and distributes those gifts to many, and it's our opportunity to serve him, to step up and, and serve him in some way. Maybe your gift is, is young and immature, and, but it, it can only grow when you begin to use and, and share it. So Bezel becomes a very, very inspirational person as I look at him. Now go back to chapter 37, verse 25, and we see from here, way into verse 
up through chapter 38, we're going to see the construction, the progress here. I'm just going to, again, read quickly. Chapter 37, verse 25, he made the incense altar of acacia wood, its length a cubit, its width a cubit, and square. So we've gone from the, from the, um, uh, the menorah, the table of showbread, the... Uh, uh, not the altar outside, but the, the um, <laughs> why am I t- having trouble? The mercy seat and the, yeah, the, co- the Ark of the Covenant. And now we're moving to this altar of incense here, really small with these little horns on it. Verse 26, he overlaid that with pure gold, its top, its sides around the horns, and he made, mo- uh, made for it a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for under the molding and two corners, again, mobile, poles. Verse 28, and he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices. So this guy was even involved in the perfuming. You know, he, this guy was amazing, this, this Bezio and the people that he worked with. So again, these are, this is just a repeat of what we saw back in chapter 25 of Exodus, uh, same kinds of things. But, but again, we're getting the order of how they were put together, basically from the inside of the, the tabernacle out to the outer wall. The other was kind of like the big things first, you know, the tent, the covering, and the but this we get just kind of the Bezio starts, he starts making these items. And I imagine the people around him were watching. Wow, look how ornate this is. Wow, look how beautiful this is. He's like a Picasso. He's like a Michelangelo. And as he's creating, the people are going, wow, look at this. this we, we have to be careful. We need to make this ornate. This is important to God. Very important. So in this chapter, chapter 37, Bezel makes the ark, the mercy, the cherubim, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense. Now, again, in chapter 38, we come to the, the outside now, the outside of the tabernacle and the, the external tent walls. Verse 1 of chapter 38, he made the altar a burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was the length. So now we're outside the tabernacle and the burnt offering. Uh, offering there, the altar. Square, its height was three cubits, made of its horns on the four corners. The horns were one piece, overlaid with bronze. So the difference here is bronze, inside gold, outside bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, forks, fire pans, all its utensils made of bronze. And he made a great bronze network for the altar under its rim, midway to the bottom cast four rings, four corners. Again, it's mobile, poles. Put the poles in the rings, verse 7. He made the altar hollow with boards. He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Hmm, that's interesting. He made the laver of bronze. So he, he's built the altar. And now... Bezel's going to make the lava. Remember, the lava holds all the water for the washing. He made the lava of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. These women that are serving, these women that want to see what's going on. What woman doesn't want to see what's going on? 
these women that, that really, they, they have something valuable. They have a bronze mirror. Women with a mirror. Can you figure? But they're willing to give their mirror, this very important, valuable item, they're going to give to the construction of this, this lover. Now, where did they get the mirror? Didn't make it in the desert, didn't find it. Where did they get it? They brought it from Egypt. It's one of the many things that they were given to get out of Egypt. Remember, they were given, God made the Egyptians give them booty for the 400 years they slaved and they labored. God made the Egyptians pay them with gold and silver and bronze mirrors. And so these women, they're, they're like, like the housemaids. They're, they're cleaning up outside the tent. They're helping their husbands and the other workers that are building. They're involved too. They're very involved. And they're, they, they want to see what's going on. They have something. And, and Bezalel says, man, I could use those mirrors. And they're, they're gladly. They give these mirrors. It's a beautiful picture of, of sacrifice of these serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle there when they give their bronze mirrors to be used for the building of that lava. In verse 9, Then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen. So remember the, can you go back to that picture that shows the whole courtyard, Jimmy? Go back to that picture. So they, see, the, see the curtains that go all the way around. This is the courtyard. That's what we're building now here. The hangings of the court were fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. So each panel was long. So you have this huge, remember the, the tabernacle, that building in the middle was 45 feet long by 15 feet wide. 15 feet. It's a couple of my arm spans, not very big. It was 45 feet long. That's, that's the whole. But the outside court was, was, was very large. So you have these panels that are being constructed here. Verse 10, with pillars, 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars, their bands were silver. On the north side of the hangings were 100 cubits long. The 20 pillars and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their brands were silver. And on the west side, there were 50 cubits and 10 pillars and 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and the bands were silver. The east side were 50. So you get this rectangle that is pictured there behind me on the screen. But everything has poles and everything has hooks and and rings because it has to be mobile. It has to be stretched up and then taken down and moved. So that's a mobile sanctuary, a mobile t tabernacle here. But it was all made with bronze and hooks with silver, overlaid with silver. Verse 18, the screen for the gate. So the main veil, the first veil, the screen for the gate of the court was woven of blue, purple, and scarlet. Very beautiful. Can you imagine in the desert breeze that flowing, the mo motion, the movement, a gorgeous structure, beautiful, silver gleaming, gold, bronze shining. It's a very ornate, very beautiful structure. The length of it described there, verse 19, four pillars and the four sockets of bronze or hooks were silver. The overlay, the capitals, the bands of silver. All the pegs, verse 20, of the tabernacle and the court all around were bronze. Now, in the closing verses here in this chapter, we get the inventory now, what, what they had to collect in order to make all of these items that we've read about tonight. Verse 21, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses. 
for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Beazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur. Remember Hur, an important character there. This Beazel was a spiritual man. Hur was a spiritual man holding up the arms of Moses. The tribe of Judah made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of a mishmash there, and the tribe of Dan, an engraver, a designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine linen. All of these men were artisans. And all the gold, verse 24, that was used in the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver from those who were numbered, the congregation, 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Abaca for each man, that's a half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, for 603,550 men. It's believed that there were 2 million, 2 million um, the, uh, those that, were, that had left Egypt and are now in the desert. Two million, can you imagine? Two million people camping in the desert. Now they had organization and all, but this tabernacle is gonna be in the middle. I had another picture. I don't know if it got to you, Jimmy, but it, it showed, yeah, there you go. Th this picture is kind of cool because in the background, see the, you'd have each tribe would be in their groups all around, all the way around the tabernacle. God's presence, he wants to be in the middle, in the midst of his people. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and fellowship with God was broken. God wants to have fellowship with you. So the Bible is a story of redemption. God wants to have fellowship. He wants to be close with. He wants to, to be with his people. He's not aloof. He's not way out in the cosmos somewhere waiting for you to make a mistake so he can crown you, so he can lightning bolt you. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is gracious. The God of the Bible is instructing in the construction of this temple after these people made their horrible sin of dancing around an idol. In chapter 32, 31, 32. But because of his grace, he instructs them to make a and they, they're getting it. They're kind of feeling it. We can be a part of this. We can be a participant. They're all giving. They're giving and giving and giving. And they've all had this opportunity, and they've taken that opportunity, and they've, they've dug deep, and they've, they're investing in because they want God to be with them. This speaks to me about a church, uh, the local church, like this one like Judson up the street, like Emmanuel over there, like the Nazarene, the different churches around, the true churches of God that, that believe in the Bible, that, that hold to the deity of Christ, not the non-Christian cults that are prevalent, but the church of God. God loves the church. He created the church. It's a place where we can come as believers with the indwelling presence of God in us. This is the tabernacle now, right? That's what the New Testament says. That the, he's, Jesus has come to dwell with man, and then Jesus left the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Bible says Jesus indwells the believer. This is man. Think about the dwelling place of God. What? 
this is such a beautiful picture in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, and the, the, that God wants to be with his people. He loved the world so much that he sent his son. Jesus, out of obedience, came. And Jesus, as a man, possesses eternality. He's God. It's, it's mind-blowing, right? I hope that your mind's blown tonight. I hope that you're just stoked on this truth and what's being revealed here. Because these former slaves of Egypt have been given everything they need to build the temple. God gave it to them. He delivered them from bondage 400 years. He gave them all this booty, the gold, the silver, and everything. And he's given them an opportunity to give it back to him. Same thing is true in the New Testament with us. The Bible, Old and New Testament, it's, it's true. It's the word of God. It's live. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Nothing like it. So these two million people, they give. The commentators basically say, say that they give over a ton of gold, that they give four tons of silver and three tons of bronze, and, and none of it was demanded. God says, I give you an opportunity to freely give to me. And they do. They give so much that the builders, oh, we got too much of that, too much gold, too much wood. Too... I love that. But here's the one important point about their giving and building God's tabernacle. The grace of God after their blatant disobedience is so apparent. It's so beautiful here. The tabernacle, it just represents the fact that God wants to be with them. He wants to draw close to them and be their God. That's the amazing grace that we sing about. That's the amazing forgiveness that we've experienced. If you're a believer tonight, I don't know how bad your sin was. I don't care. You might have just stolen a few things and puffed on a cigarette, never been drunk like me. And I was a sinner. I'm a sick dog, wretched sinner. Or maybe your sin was, I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. I've seen or heard some of those stories. I'm like, good grief. Make my hair curl. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven because of that blood. The, the picture of the blood sacrifice and the price being paid. The work of the priest being done. Jesus becomes now our high priest. That's what Hebrews is all about. He's better than any sacrifice. He's better than all those. Jesus, he's done it all. That's the amazing grace of God. And we worship Jesus here at Christmas time. This is the verse. I'll probably use this verse again on Christmas Eve. It's John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the man, the dwelling place of God. He's, he's God with men. I love singing Christmas hymns, don't you? One of my favorites is written by Charles Wesley, who wrote quite extensively, if you know the history of the church, Charles Wesley. The second stanza of Hark the Herald Angels Sing goes like this, Christ, 
by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. The New Testament epistles go on to teach so much more about about the dwelling place of God in the church, in the life of the believer. So I want to end with this one verse from Ephesians chapter 2. You could turn there if you can't read that. There's a lot there. You can turn to Ephesians 2, but I want to read that. Notice behind me on the screen, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. From the beginning, this is what God's always wanted, to be with his people to be with you and I, not to be separate. Had to be separate because a man sinned, had to have veils. But he provided for his people. He sent his own son, and Jesus came to dwell with us, to reveal God to us, the tabernacle, and our Lord Jesus Christ. A beautiful story. Father, I, I'm, so, I'm just so overwhelmed tonight. I'm so grateful for the truth that's revealed. This Old Testament book that we hardly read that has so much importance, pre-picturing Christ in so many ways, the Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I, I just pray that our Christmas season would be filled daily with worship, that we would worship the Son, that we would be thankful for a fellowship of believers that you surround us with, you place us into a body, a local church. You build us up. And tonight, Lord, I'm very aware of those that are struggling, those that are hurting, those that are extremely ill and we as a church take this moment to pray for them we ask God that you would cure their cancers we pray Lord that you would give healing to their organs that are not operational that you would give sight as well as healing, Lord, for you are a healing God. Oh, that we as your people would ask and seek and knock and pray. We ask, Father, that you would bless those that are hurting and encourage their hearts. Use us, Lord, if you choose and give us creative ideas and how to reach out to help. And Lord, may this be a, a loving body of believers that rejoices in the truth that 
Jesus has come, Emmanuel, God with us. May we rejoice this Christmas season with joy and praise and worship. Lord, as you so desire to dwell with us, may we open our hearts and draw near because you'll draw near to us. How grateful we are, how thankful we are. In Jesus we pray, amen.